There's no business like show business. From actors, writers, directors, and behind-the-scenes crew, everyone loves being part of the biz, and everybody loves those Hollywood stories. My name is Bob McCullough. I'm married to Suzanne Herrera McCullough, and between the two of us, we've got over 200 hours writing, producing, directing, or acting in some of the most classic television series and movies of all time. We've had pretty high-profile careers working with a wide range of celebrity talent and helping beginners get their start in the business, so people have always told us we should write a book. Well, we think getting our story out this way could be a lot more fun, so let's jump in. I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. Dynamite! Nanu, nanu. Baby, you're the great. Here comes the judge. More cowbell. Isn't that special? Not that there's anything wrong with that. And now for something completely different. There's no business like show business like no business i know everything about it is appealing everything the traffic will allow no way could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow there's no people like show people they smile when they are low yesterday they told you you Thank you, Ethel Merman. This is Bob McCullough. And this is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. And this is our very first podcast on Where Hollywood Hides. And I am so excited. This is our very first podcast. We've been working towards this. We've had lots of encouragement from friends and family. And here we are. And we've Uh, overcome some technical difficulties. Hooray, hooray. Yes, I don't think it's the end of those difficulties, but we're going to mush on. So bear with us. Anyway, um... My husband, Bob, has uh, had a fascinating life, especially his childhood, and um, all our friends think we should write a book about it. And well, we had, we, we've each had long, pretty long careers in show business and television and movies, and, and how it all starts, I guess, is where we want to start. Right. So why don't we get started to where you were a little bitty boy? Okay, okay. Who are your parents? My parents uh, were uh, Marshall McCullough, was an FBI agent uh, working for J. Edgar Hoover back in the uh, early and mid-40s. Actually, he had been designated, I believe, as um, the candidate to become governor of Texas until he and his partner had a shootout in a Texas bar one night when they each discovered that they were sleeping with one another's wives. Oops. He actually married my mother twice and married another woman in the alternative twice as well. My mom was married five times, and I think my real father, Mac McCullough, was married, I don't know, seven times. Wow, like Jaja Gabor and uh, Liz Taylor. Yeah, they were pretty out there, pretty out there. Your mother always said she married people that she had sex with, so... Oh, great. (laughs) So it was apparently only five times. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And I'm her only child, so she must have done something right. Right. I must say your mother was, um, I don't know about this other lady your your biological father married, but 
Your mother was very beautiful. Well, they, they kind of had that Veronica Lake thing going with the hair drooping I over one eye. I thought she looked more like Lana Turner. Platinum blonde. Yeah, maybe. maybe. With the cigarette and cigarette holder. Oh, and, and long fingernails. The furs. All that and, stuff. All that yeah. stuff. So my because my mom divorced him twice, I was raised by aunts and uncles until I was about four and a half years old, uh, at which time my mother met a much older man. He was actually 25 years older than she was, George Goldenberg. And he was kind of a mid, uh, low to mid-level uh, member of the Jewish mob on the West Coast. And he had been kind of a scam artist and hustler throughout his youth. And, by and the, he was a lot older, right? Yeah, 25 years older. And by the yeah. time he married my mom, uh, he had become the manager of Ciro's, the Trocadero, Macambo's, the Crescendo. The really ex- that was in Hollywood. The really high-class, exclusive nightclub scene on the Sunset Strip. This is a time when women wore formal gowns, and uh, if they weren't wearing beautifully beaded jackets, they were wearing ermine capes and, and stuff like that. And men wore hats. Men wore and hats. And suits, right? Men wore hats and uh, white dinner jackets, and it was black tie, you know. Uh, you no could, jeans and T-shirts. Uh, right. No flip-flops. You could not get into these places unless you were really appropriately dressed. And as a matter of fact, on our website, where hollywoodhides.com, you'll see some pictures of my mom and some gangsters at these nightclubs, and you get an idea what the style was in those days. So I was pretty much, so so they got married when I was four and a half, and um, I think at that point in time, I started becoming uh, a fixture at some of these nightclubs. I'm five, six, seven years old. What are you talking about, at night? Well, yeah, I mean, the nightclubs, you know, opened at night, and they were open until two or three o'clock in the morning, and they probably had after hours as well. What about school? I went to the Laurel Avenue Grammar School in West but Hollywood. But did you go to? The, how could you go to school if you were at nightclubs all night? Well, I was tardy a lot and absent a lot, and frankly, school bored the tears out of me because I enjoyed being around grown-ups because it was just so much more exciting and glamorous. I mean, I remember spending evenings with Sophie Tucker and singing duets with Johnny Ray and learning how to throw Parliament cigarettes and make them stick on the ceiling. Uh, Nat King Cole taught me how to do that. And so it's safe to say you didn't have many play dates. My pl- no, no. Uh, not play at, dates are very big these days. Not at that age. My play dates uh, involved uh, adults and kind of hanging out with them. And listen, it was great fun. I, I, I'm surprised I didn't grow up smoking cigarettes because I was around cigarette smoke and alcohol my whole life. You were around a lot of negative. I guess so. Elements. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But it was to me. It was fun. It was exciting. It was a lot more exciting than a bunch of six-year-olds in first grade. You know? So we, 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 did you ever feel ignored when no, you, you were at I these was, nightclubs? No, I was included all the time. I mean, Yeah, that's cool. And I hung out with busboys and the waiters, and I would hang out with the bartenders, and I learned how to make uh, Bloody Marys and stuff like that, and Shirley Temples. I, was, I always had plenty of soda pop. you know. Uh, so even in those days, there were an awful lot of celebrities around, and I remember my dad. Um, now, this is not your biological no, dad. No, this is George Goldenberg. And did you ever see your biological dad? No, I never actually, I don't remember ever seeing him or meeting him. Uh, he died uh, when I was a teenager, and my mom made sure I never had any contact so with him. So when you make reference to your dad, you're talking about Goldenberg. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'm talking about Goldie. So uh, because uh, the whole Vegas thing was really starting to take off in the 50s, uh Goldie was involved in that to some degree, and we spent an awful lot of time in Las Vegas and Palm Springs and Lake Tahoe. 
Um, we spent one summer at Lake George in New York, uh, staying with Sherman Billingsley of the Stork Club. What is who's that? Sherman Billingsley owned the Stork Club, which was the big nightclub in Manhattan. So uh, we spent the summer there. It was right out of The Godfather. If you think of the the house with the boathouse on the lake, that's what Lake George was like. Real gangsters. It was it was awesome. And so when I was about eight or nine, my mom had an idea to open a retail store because Goldenberg was getting older and there was an awful lot of federal indictment coming down. A lot of guys were going to court. A lot of guys were going to prison. Now, speaking of that, it kind of reminds me of the movie Casino, but I know Casino was way after. Uh-huh. Didn't you spend a lot of time in Las Vegas? A lot of time in Las Vegas, which I loved. Was this it, during school time? Probably, yeah. Maybe vacations. Maybe yeah. vacations, but probably during a lot of school time. I just remember Vegas had great swimming pools with high dives and kind of cocktail and lunch service out by the pool. And I was George Goldie's kid, so I pretty much had carte blanche and... I remember once I got to be the assistant doorman at the Sahara Hotel, uh, opening the heavy glass door for people and collecting 25-cent tips, which was a lot of money to me in those days. And uh, I remember once going into the casino. I'm about eight years old, maybe, and I'm wearing my little white suit. And I had a pocket full of quarters, and I won a jackpot at the slot machines. And my mother was right on my case about that, and she scooped up all my money, which I didn't think was fair at all. It's funny you remember that. Yeah, yeah, because I thought I'd earned that money. But uh, so, yeah, so my youth of uh, the whole Vegas Palm Springs thing uh, kind of evolved. My mom had this retail store idea, and she opened a little store on Beverly Boulevard where the ICM building now stands. Uh, It was formerly known as Decorators Row. It was a bunch of shacks full of upholsterers and decorators and stuff. And she opened a store just for bath and closet accessories. Now, her name up until then had been Mary, which she thought was very boring and pedestrian. And I think she was inspired from one of my dad's early mobster friends, Nola Han, who was a big Russian guy. uh, And she adapted the name Minka. Oh, that's very Russian. And that became her name. Everybody knew Minka. She didn't need a second name. It was kind of like calling yourself Zsa or Liberace. You don't need a last name. Or Madonna. Exactly. Now, at this time, what school did you go to? Well, I, I, at that time, we moved to Beverly Hills because my mom wanted me to go to uh, the best possible schools so that I might have a shot at going to college. And, you know, the Beverly Hills school system had a phenomenal reputation at that time. So we moved into an apartment in Beverly Hills, and she had a little retail shop in Beverly Hills, Minka's Bath and Closet Shop. And I began doing after school and weekends there. It was a huge transition from being in Vegas and having a lot of fun to suddenly I'm sweeping out the store. So it must have been interesting for you to go to Beverly Hills High because I know that may not be the case now too much, but in those days, uh, most celebrities or movie stars lived or moved to Beverly Hills, and I would assume that they had kids in those schools. Well, yeah. Half of my classmates were the children of celebrities, and a number of my classmates were themselves celebrities. Um, a lot of people I went to school with have become very well-known writers, directors, actors, producers, um, and I could name drop, uh, but maybe next podcast I'll get into some of the personality. I, I, I went to a really unique high school at a very unique time, and interestingly enough, a number of us are still very much in contact. It's a, been a very cohesive group. It's, it's pretty unusual. 
Um, so did you, how did you transition into, apparently you lived, you sit in an apartment. Uh-huh. Well, I was, and, I was one of the poor kids in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills is an interesting community in that the cliche of uh, north of the tracks and south of the tracks, there, there is in fact a railroad line that runs right down the middle of Beverly Hills along Santa Monica Boulevard. And north of those railroad tracks are all the mansions, and that's where all the movie stars lived. And south of those railroad tracks, it's all duplexes and apartment buildings. And that's where, like, kind of working people lived. And that's where my mom and dad had an apartment. And while all my friends lived in giant mansions, I lived, I actually slept a couple of years in the living room because we only had a one-bedroom apartment. So did you have a hard time connecting with these kids with a lot of money? Well, I don't, I never felt that. Um, and I don't think children kind of gauge each other by what your parents have. It's, well, not at that age, but when they get older. <clears throat> when you get older, perhaps. High school. Yeah, high school. But by then, your reputation is made. Everybody knows you. Um, and it, it really wasn't that much of an issue. And by the way, when I was 16, I had a brand new red Corvette because uh, my mother's store was obviously pretty prosperous and um, she was doing very well. As a matter of fact, by the time I made it to USC, my mom had five stores throughout Southern California. That's so impressive. Minka's Bath and Closet Shop was kind of a big deal in the retail area in Beverly Hills. So you worked at the store. So I worked at the store every day after school, every what, Saturday. What did you do? And what was it? What kind of a shop was well, it? Well, it was bath and closet accessories. Yes. It was kind of like an early version of Bed Bath & Beyond, if you think of that. It had everything for the bathroom, everything for the bedroom. Of course, in those days when she first started, they, there weren't a lot of products made for bathroom accessories. Right. As a matter of fact, I think she pretty much kind of invented the soap dish, certainly the fancy soap dish. I mean, uh, you could probably buy little plastic things to put soap in, but she created the gold-plated filigree and the incredibly ornate soap dishes that uh, the women in the Beverly Hills mansions simply had to have for their powder room. Uh, She went to an ashtray factory and had them knock off the thing that holds the cigarette and said, let me just have it without the cigarette holder, and she called that a soap dish. You know what I wonder? What? This has nothing to do with your story. Yeah. I wonder if there's many uh, ashtray manufacturers left because that's smoking a good <laughs> is such a taboo. Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, question. where do you go? I've never seen an ashtray in the last 10 years for sale. Have you? Not in, ter- not a, how, not in your house, yeah. They're, no, I've never seen them for sale at the stores either. Yeah, well, smoking, in those days, everybody smoked. I have a lot of antique... Uh, ashtrays. Well, there you go. Put them yeah. on eBay. There you go. Um, but in those days, all adults smoked, it felt like to me. Of course. Um, all the movie stars. Yeah. Everyone on screen used to right, smoke. Right, right, exactly. It was the cool thing to do. Right. One of the interest, interesting things about working at the store was that I was exposed to every celebrity you can imagine came in that store at one point in time or another. Like who? Like who? Everybody from Elvis Presley to Liberace to Jack Lemon. To Eddie Fisher, uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor, name the person. They, if they lived in Beverly Hills or West LA or Bel Air, Brentwood, they came to Minka's Bath and Closet Shop at one point in time. You had a good story about Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra. They were all clients in my mom's store. One Christmas Eve, you know, retail and Christmas season, everybody's working pretty hard, long, long days, but we always stay open late because you want those last minute shoppers. And we're getting ready to close the store one night around eight o'clock. And uh, in walks Sammy Davis Jr. 
Now, he wasn't very impressive physically, but his personality and his... He was a very small man, correct? He was like 5'6". Yeah. And skinny. Very thin, very slight, very slender guy. Giant horn rim glasses, big shiny teeth, and in a personality you can't believe. You know, he had an incredible story about concerning his fake eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. He got beaten up. Uh, I thought it was a car accident. Was it a car accident? A major car accident. Oh, that's right. He was you're almost right. left right. dead. And he lost an eye. You're right. You're right. And I only know this because my parents adored him. Uh-huh. And uh, he was, was was like one of the first black uh, performers, I think, to hang around with non-black Yeah, well, he was actually people. one of the original members of the Rat Pack. That was Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. Joey Bishop and right. Peter Lawford. Right. And Sammy Davis. Right. The original Ocean's Eleven. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, Christmas Eve, Sammy Davis Jr. walks in like two minutes to eight. We're getting ready to close. We're dog tired. But this is Sammy Davis Jr. And he has a reputation as a spender. And he came in with Rosie Greer, a gigantic football player, and another guy about the same size, kind of his little mini entourage. And they are all panicked because it's Christmas Eve and nobody's done their Christmas shopping. So between Sammy Davis Jr. and the other two guys, they spent probably close to $3,000 in about an hour and a half. My mother couldn't believe it. Well, that's like twenty grand now. Yeah, so when we get them all bagged up and their stuff and they're on their way, I go to lock the door and my mom says, He is so cute. That's because he spent money, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. He, he, he really made our Christmas season. And I just remember he was just a, a very upbeat, kind of very cool guy. Uh, a lot of jokes. How about Elvis? Well, Elvis, when he came in... Do you remember in, that? Sure. Elvis came in. He he also had an entourage of two guys, a guy named... Uh, a red-headed guy whose name was called... I think they called him Red. And another guy actually uh, had an opportunity to meet years later at Paramount Studios named Jerry Schilling, who was very much uh, one of Elvis's close confidants. And they were very young guys. I was only about 13 years old. When they came in the store... Um, uh, late on a Saturday afternoon, and I I knew who Elvis was. He had just kind of broken out, um, and he was shopping for his wife uh, Priscilla. Now, I don't think Elvis got married right away when he first started. It was maybe quite a maybe. Well, know, anyway, he was, I'm, I know he was shopping for his mom. He loved his mom. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he spent some good good money too. But the thing I really remember about him was he was very quiet and very polite. Just unbelievably polite. And my mom didn't really know who he was. She just thought that he was gorgeous. She thought maybe he was an actor, a model, that kind of a thing. He was actually better. And I said, Mom, that's Elvis Presley. She said, yeah. I, you know, Maybe he'd been on Ed Sullivan once by then. Um, and she was never very impressed by celebrities whatsoever because she was always trying to you know, get them to pay their charge account bill. Right. Um, but we had... You, you can't imagine the number of people that came in that store. The other thing my mom's business was, uh, she had created a process whereby you would line uh, drawers with fabrics, either velvet or quilted plastics. So that, that was in lieu of, um, I remember growing up, we had contact paper. And you used to put the paper in the drawers to make right, it look right. better. That was kind of the economical version. Right. Uh, and my mom created this process with real fabrics, and you could have like really padded drawers. So you put your underwear in a nice soft environment, I guess. So we spent a lot of uh, resources developing the business. You would go to somebody's home and line all of their drawers, line their closets, put edging on the shelves, do certain things around their closet rods, and 
just make things as fancy as fancy could be for people who had nothing else to do with their money, basically. It was incredibly expensive. Um, and I remember I did a number of installations and kind of grew up with a toolbox in my hand. By the time I'm 16, I'm going out on installation jobs pretty much on my own. Um, I remember your mom didn't talk too much about celebrity homes and lining their drawers, but she did mention Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Uh, Frank, she was impressed with him. Well, she was impressed with the fact that he wanted his stuff done in red leather, not fake leather, not plastic, in real red leather, which took us months to get. It had to come from back east. And the drawers, I think his drawers cost upwards of 40 bucks a piece to line. And we were at that time lining drawers for under $5 a piece. So it was pretty darn expensive. And it was at an apartment um, he had on North Doheny. This is just before, I think, um, his major comeback with From Here to Eternity when he got the Academy Award. So uh, so I was I spent a lot of time in the mansions of major celebrities and movie stars. You had some you have some good stories. Doing contract work. Well, yeah, I mean I I'd I'd seen movie stars and been around these folks forever. Even when I was little, I would go to friends' houses and well, first tell them about the Carol Baker story. Cause okay, we're on so, Baker's. all right. Well, Carol Baker uh, was a kind of an ingenue who had broken really huge in a big hit movie called Baby Doll, kind of the, the Lolita story. And she was a very sexy blonde. And um, I knew who she was, but of course I was too young to see her movies. But I was about 16 years old, I think, one of my first jobs on my own. And I'm in her closet on my hands and knees lining the walls in these quilted fabrics and putting edging on the shelving. And I hear the shower go on in the in the master bathroom just adjacent to where I was working. But I don't look up and I don't think anything of it because I figure, you know, it's not my business what people are doing in the house. And five or ten minutes later, the shower goes off and I'm not thinking anything about that either. I figure whoever's there is doing their thing. And suddenly, a, an arm reaches over me a dripping wet arm, and I look up, and there's a dripping wet torso of Carol Baker. Now, this is not your average female torso. And she says, oh, excuse me, I just need my bathrobe. Well, she knew the bathrobe wasn't in the closet. I was working in the closet. The bathrobe was over on the bed. She says, oh, excuse me, and then she trots off. And I must tell you, my face must have been purple. I was so embarrassed. I did not know what to do. So I just didn't do anything. Oh, so it was it was that pretty, was every guy's dream, I would think. Yeah, but it was intimidating for a sixteen year old. Right. Believe me. Believe right. me. And I had seen some other stuff even growing up. I was at a friend's house one day and his dad was the studio physician at Twentieth Century Fox, uh, married to uh, a starlet, kind of a um, kind of an up and comer, but a really beautiful woman, uh, by the name of Noreen Nash, actually. And I was at their house, and they were having the house painted, and there was a truck in the driveway and tarps all around the bushes and stuff. And my buddy and I are playing in the backyard, and we suddenly, you know, we have to run into his room and get another BB gun or another bow and arrow or set or something. And so we walk, we run into this my friend's bedroom, and there's a guy in the bed, and it's the house painter. This is the middle of the day. And the house painter is in bed with another guy. And it's a guy I recognize. And I'm only 10 years old, but I've seen the movies. And it was Rock Hudson. What was Rock Hudson doing at that house? Well, I think he was there visiting my friend's parents. Uh, maybe he was there to see his doctor, the studio doctor. But it was 
shocking, but... Did you see them having sex? No, no, no. I mean, we just saw two men under the covers together. Did you tell... His your friend's mom? No, no. What are we gonna run downstairs and say there's a man in my bed? Yeah. No, no. We just kind of got our stuff and ran outside and kept playing. But it's an image I've never forgotten. It was pretty interesting. Not knowing really what two men would be doing, but the fact that they were there. And the other and I guess I had an awareness too. My mom's store, she employed um I would say the majority of her employees were gay guys. Uh very artistic, kind of flamboyant. And so I was used to being around the gay lifestyle as a kid, really. So seeing Rock Hudson in bed with the painter was not that big of a deal. Right. And so... Gee, you're so worldly. Yeah, well, at 10 years old in Beverly Hills at that time, I guess maybe I was. So I spent my teenage years working at my mom's store and, again, being exposed to just a lot of celebrity customers. And even in the neighborhood, you'd, you'd you know go walk the dog and there's Jack Lemon walking his dog. Uh, I remember seeing Gene Kelly many times on my parents' street. Um, and again, just being exposed to that whole celebrity thing, which really came to uh, almost full circle. By the time I graduated high school and went to USC, and I went to USC because I really wanted to be a dentist, of all things, but I discovered I couldn't really hack it into dental school because my math skills were terrible. And while at SC, I started taking kind of English and film classes because I needed to keep my GPA up. Well, let's not skip about there was something interesting that happened to you when you were going to SC regarding the draft. That's true. That's true. I was a junior at USC, and I'm a member of ZBT, a Jewish fraternity. And the reason I was a member of ZBT is I had my last name was Robert Goldenberg. Remember George Goldenberg and my mother married when I was just under five. And... So my name was Goldenberg all the way through grammar school and high school. And by the time I'm at USC, I'm only rushed by the Jewish fraternities because of my last name, which I thought was kind of weird. But, I, you know, having been raised in Beverly Hills, all my friends are Jewish. Well, birds of a feather. I mean, exactly, exactly. St- I mean, that still happens. And I didn't really think of it until one day I'm at my, uh, my mom's house. I'm a junior in college, and there's a knock on the door, and there are two guys in their late 20s. Real men in black, wearing cheap black suits and skinny black neckties and short sleeve white shirts and, you know, orthopedic Oxfords. And I say, hi, what do you guys need? I thought they were maybe Mormon, you know, uh, Bible salesmen or something. They, they used to do that a lot in those days. Right, right. And they identify themselves. They show me badges. And these, are, these guys are with the FBI. And they say, who are you? And I say, oh, my name is Robert Goldenberg. And they said to me, can you prove it? I said, what do you mean? Well, let's see your birth certificate. I look at my mom. Hey, you got a birth certificate? I've never seen my birth certificate. It's not something that a young guy says, can I see my, you know, you're not well, didn't concerned Didn't your mom with. say, oh, well, his real name isn't Goldenberg. It's- so, no, so she brings out a birth certificate, and there's the name Robert McCullough. Now, I had heard the name McCullough, but I'd never actually seen it in print. And I was given three options, basically. Remember, this is the draft. This is Vietnam. And they said, you've, re- you've registered for the Selective Service under an illegal name. There is no Robert Goldenberg. There are no birth records for a Robert Goldenberg. So you can either join the, the Army now, or you can face indictment and go to Leavenworth Prison, or you can assume immediately the use of your illegal name, Robert McCullough. Well, what's the easy way out there? Right. 
I took the legal name really quickly. The next day, I go back to USC. I'm at the fraternity house for lunch, and I stand up and announce to all the brothers gathered there, my name is no longer Bob Goldenberg. It's Bob McCullough. Well, a food fight breaks out because they think I'm trying to pass as a non-Jew because half the guys right. thought I was Jewish. Wait, you don't look Jewish. Doesn't matter. Right, I know. And so it became, became kind of a, a burden for me my last year of college, but I've been Bob McCullough ever since. And in some ways, I kind of wish I'd kept the name Bob Goldenberg because in show business, it doesn't hurt to be Jewish. Right. And uh, so while I'm at USC and really getting tired of working at my mom's retail store, because it's just been something I've been doing since I was nine years old, I look in the newspaper and there it says, hey, you want to be on a quiz show? So I start applying to be a contestant on quiz shows. And I wind up on a number of quiz shows. So what were the quiz shows? Oh, gosh. Things, Just name them. Uh, Joker's Wild, Password. You were on these? Yeah. I was on probably... A, dating a, game? The dating game. I was on dating game five times. Wow. And what I learned was that there was a real world out there that had nothing to do with dental school or retail stores that looked like a lot more fun than anything I'd ever seen. And it was one day on the dating game while they were kind of lighting and dress rehearsing and stuff, I start asking questions. I'm pointing to people... Uh, finding out that the cameraman makes 600 bucks a week, finding out that the hairdresser makes 700 bucks a week, that there are these great opportunities and really high-income jobs. And I see a guy sitting over in the shadows, kind of a small guy, and he's wearing a blue cashmere V-neck sweater and drinking an iced tea, and he's taking some notes. And I find out that that's Chuck Barris, the producer of The Dating Game, and he's making $20,000 a week. I remember him... He was on the Gong Show. He created the Gong as Show as the host, and he, he always a, had this spittle in his mouth. He was a great guy. He was a great character. Very funny guy. Uh, years later, oddly enough, and I, you probably don't even know this, I wound up playing racquetball with him for a year. I think I remember you the, mentioning that at the that. Century City Health yeah. Club. Yeah, but a really, really sweet guy. Uh, but it inspired me. This is the business I want to be in. It doesn't look like work. So next time we uh, get together. Uh, I'll tell you how I wound up going to graduate school and how graduate school led to my first job at a network. You also have a couple of really good stories about um, the, the um, game shows that you were on, so we'll touch upon that okay, as well. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. The, the quiz show thing was absolutely a lark, and it really did inspire me to um, do something different with my life and maybe take some chances. And those things that have led to us having each having very exciting careers and um, kind of in-depth awareness of what it takes to make it, how to break in and move up in show business. So I'd like to thank um, Chance McCullough, our, our son. Who's, our, our sound engineer. Yes, he's in the music business. Uh, you'll find his link on our website. Uh, we hope you'll go to our website, where hollywoodhides.com. And uh, please patronize amazon.com, links that we have there. It'll help support the podcast. We have a number of new sponsors coming on board. And as uh, time moves on and things develop, uh, hopefully you'll give us some feedback. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. And, and we also have a lot to talk about, different shows, different actors, directors, writers, everything we've experienced. And um, so how do you think we did, Bob? I don't. That's not up for us to judge, is it? I think It felt good. It felt yeah, good. yeah. And I think people will give us some good feedback. I hope they do. Yep. Uh, we'll be bringing a lot of friends on board. Uh, a lot of people we want to talk to and share with everybody. So until next time, this is Bob McCullough. And Suzanne Herrera McCullough. And we will see you next time. Bye.
Chillicothes and Paducahs with their bazookas to get their names up in lights. All armed with photos from local rotos with their hair in ribbons and legs in tights. Hooray for Hollywood. You have no way of knowing who'll make good. Maybe you'll be another Papa D on your name and me on. If you get lucky, you could. Yes, buddy, you'll arrive if you can top his five. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. Bully, rockin', bully, Hollywood. They hire cowboys and then hang their jacks up and doll their maps up and give them all that they love. 